Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. We are still doing an investigation, a, a thorough look at the 12 apostles of Jesus. For those of you that maybe weren't here in week one, we did an overview of the 12 apostles. In week two, we studied Andrew. In week three, we studied Bartholomew. In week four, we studied James, the son of Alphaeus. And now today, we are going to study James, the son of Zebedee. Before I give you any scripture references, I want you to remember that last week I mentioned to you that just as James is a popular name today, it was just as popular, if not more popular, than in the days of Jesus. And with that being said, I told you that when you start to study the name James, it can be quite tricky because there are so many Jameses in the Bible. And I want to tell you about the four Jameses in particular that we referenced last week. The first James is one of the 12 apostles' dad, uh, excuse me, was named Thaddeus. That was one of the 12 apostles. His name was Thaddeus. And his dad was named James. Now, you can go ahead and take that guy out of the picture because, quite frankly, outside of him being the father of Thaddeus, he's not very significant to us in the Scripture. The second James is the brother of Jesus. Now, for those of you that maybe don't know who the brother of Jesus is, you have to listen to last week's message, but I will tell you that most people believe that the book James was written by the brother of Jesus. We also know that the brother of Jesus was the one that was directing the council in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, but there's another James, and that was James, the son of Alphaeus, and he was one of the 12 disciples. But now today I want to talk to you about the other James, and his name is Zebedee. So there's four Jameses in particular that that you could get confused on in the New Testament, but three that had significant roles. One was James, the author of James, and the brother of Jesus. Two, the son of Alphaeus, one of the twelve apostles. And three, the son of Zebedee, another one of the twelve apostles. Now, I want you to remember that the James that we talked about last week, one of the 12 apostles, was called James the what? The less. The little one. James the little one. James the least. Really, it says James the less. And and he played what seemed to be a less important role of the two apostles named James. James the Less, also James of the son of Alphaeus, was not the James that we see in the, in the Gospels. Remember last week we said there's no information about James the Less. There's nothing there for us to really pick from. And with that being said, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you begin to see references of James... You can know that it is the Apostle James, the son of Zebedee, because there is no account outside of the listing of James among the 12 disciples, James of Alphaeus. So every James you read in the Gospels is the James we're talking about today. So the James of Zebedee had a much more important, seemingly, role. At least his name was mentioned a whole lot more. Matter of fact, James, son of Zebedee, the one we're talking about today, has a nickname. 
Now, contrary to the other name of James, which his nickname was James the Less, the nickname of James of Zebedee, son of Zebedee, is James the Great. Now, just to throw in a little bit of extra, because I won't be teaching on James the brother, because he wasn't one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, the, the brother of Jesus. They call him James the Just. So there's James the Just, James the Great, and James the Less. James the Less was the son of Alphaeus. James the Great was the son of Zebedee. Both of them were apostles. And then there's James the Just, who was not an apostle, but the brother of Jesus. Everybody with me? All right. Now that you know that, let's jump straight in. And I want to look with you today at James the Great. Okay, if you turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, or you can see it here on the screen. Again, today my job is to help you understand a little bit better the apostle named James, the son of Zebedee. Then he appointed, starting at verse 14, 12, that they might be with him and that, they might, that he might send them out to preach that they could and would have the power to heal the sick and cast out demons. These are the names of the 12 apostles that Jesus called. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the names Sons of Thunder. We also know there was Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and of course, Judas. Now today I want to talk to you about James, but obviously I'm not talking about James of Alphaeus because we already talked about him. Obviously we're not talking about James the just, the brother of Jesus, because he wasn't the 12 disciples. So who that leaves me to talk about with you today is James the Great, or James the son of Zebedee. So what I want to do is get some family stuff out the way real quick. We'll just do the family on the front end. So the first thing I want you to know about James is James is the older brother of John. Some of you are probably saying, John who? And I'll explain in just a moment. But in Matthew chapter 4 and 21, it says, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. I want you to see just for a moment in this scripture right here on the screen that it says that James was the son of Zebedee and that John is his brother. So first thing is John is the brother of James. The second thing I want you to see is that John is not referenced anywhere except by the name of James. The way it has been determined that James is the older brother, not only a brother, but the older brother, requires you to look at sentence structure and put into perspective the first century writers and how they wrote in the context of how they were writing. When you look at every mention of James and John, it always says James first, and then it says John, his brother, the brother of James. It always references James as the big brother or as the brother of John. And it always says that James is the son of Zebedee and that, and that John is the brother to James. And, and what you will see and find out is that this structure is revealing to us that James was the older brother. And, and that is why John is always connected 
connected not to Zebedee, but to James, because James is the older brother. The unique thing is this. Though that James is older, John is mentioned more. And though that James is older, seemingly John makes a bigger impact than his big brother. For example, James wrote how many books? No, none. Because remember, thank you for asking, saying that, no, because everybody else is like, oh, no. <laughs> you get extra credit. So James is the one that did not write any books because the book of James was written by the brother of Jesus. And this James is not the brother of Jesus. So James wrote how many books? Okay, we already learned something. So we're good. We can go home. Let's take an offering again and go home. How many books did John write? Nope, five. He wrote St. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and what else? Revelations. John wrote five books. James wrote none. James is the big brother. John is the little brother. Now, you would think, you know, I mean, at least this is the way we think in our minds, big, big brother should be over little brother, right? That's, I mean, that's what we think. Now, now, though both James and John were a part of Jesus' inner circle, they were both part of Jesus' inner circle, it's believed that John is actually closer to Jesus than James was. So there's three people that we've been talking about over this entire series that are the inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. But if you begin to really look, it says that Peter was most likely the leader of the three and was the closest, and John had a close second, and then James would be third. And it's really just kind of funny because James is so important, but the thing is, is he's the older brother, but yet his younger brother was ahead of him. Yeah. You know, sometimes God does things that are a little bit backwards, doesn't he? The second thing I want you to know about family structure before we move on is James' parents, only one followed Jesus. Now, now this should be encouraging to some of you, I hope, but of James' parents, we only have reference or an account of one of the two following Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 16 and 1. It says, then, or now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James, that never, hold on, that's a different James. This is the other James, son of Alphaeus, okay, so don't get confused yet. But then it says, and Salome, Salome brought, not Salami, Salome, <laughs> shout out to mom's belly, deli, I just got a salami sandwich there this week, it was really good, but we're not talking about that, we're talking about Salome. And Salome bought spices that they may, might come and anoint Jesus. I want you to see just for a moment that in this scripture, Mark chapter 16, that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, son of Alphaeus, and James and John's mother Salome brought spices that they could anoint the body of the dead Jesus. Now you're saying, what does that mean? Just follow me for a second. If you look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 56, it says, And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, many women whom, uh, who followed Jesus from Galilee were ministering to him. 
Now, now, what I begin to envision here, because you got to just go with me for a second and know that what's happening right here is the author, Matthew, is saying that there were women that specifically followed Jesus while he was enduring the cross, headed to be crucified, ministering to him. Now, I'm not really sure what they were doing when they were ministering to them, but I just believe that Mary and, and the other Mary and, and Salome and, and who knows, maybe some others were just encouraging Jesus as he carried his cross and they were ministering to him. I just believe that they were kind of like the Aaron and Ur that were holding up the arms of Moses. And they were kind of saying things like, Jesus, you can do it. Now, I don't know because it doesn't say it. I'm kind of reading in between the lines. But what we know is it says that there were women that followed Jesus and they were ministering to him. Not Jesus ministering to them. But they were ministering to him. And were, they were there looking afar among those that were ministering to them. And then looking from afar as Jesus was about to be crucified was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. Again, that's the James son of Alphaeus. And the mother of Zebedee's sons. Zebedee's mother, or excuse me, Zebedee's wife's name was Salome. And, and this is James and John's mom. Now, why do I say this to you? Because I want you to see that James and John's mom served Jesus. She loved Jesus. She is mentioned around Jesus and serving Jesus during his ministry on the earth. She is mentioned before the, uh, where, where she was there when he was crucified. And now she is being mentioned and as she visits the tomb because she wants to anoint the dead body. Can I tell you that Salome, 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 dang it, Ray, you should have never used that mom's deli. See what happens? All right, it's all good. Salome, right? Oh, Salome, okay. Salome loved Jesus. And we know it if we begin to study the scripture because we see that she spent lots of time with Jesus before he ever died. She was there beside Jesus' side ministering to him when he was about to die. And then she was there trying to hunt down Jesus at his tomb after he was dead. Matter of fact, the account is, is she was one of the ones that showed up on the scene and found out and discovered that Jesus had resurrected. I need us to know for a moment that James and John's mother, Salome, loved Jesus. Now, their dad, on the other hand, we don't know much about him except that he was a fisherman. According to the Bible, he was a good fisherman. Now, some of y'all are probably saying, I, I, I mean, how do we know he was a good fisherman? Well, he, he was successful. He was successful at fishing. Matter of fact, he was a successful businessman. If you look in Mark chapter 1, it says that Zebedee had multiple employees working for him. We don't know how many employees he had, but he had multiple employees working for them. Now, you probably say, it doesn't say that, does it? Yeah, it does. It says that he had servants. Now, servants aren't free. Servants cost money. When you hear servants, it is for us today means employee. Zebedee was a business owner. And besides him owning a very successful seafood business, doesn't that sound a lot better? I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, he, he was a seafood owner. and He was, indeed. He was a seafood business owner. And uh, besides us knowing that he ran a very profitable organization, 
we know nothing else about him. And that means one of two things. Either A, he died shortly after James and John started to follow Jesus. Or B, he did not follow Jesus the way their mother did. One of the two. Most people say that what happened was that the father was so engrafted in, in, in a part of the Jewish faith that, that he allowed his wife to follow Jesus, but he himself was still on the fence. Now, I can't defend that definitively, but what I can tell you is this. Through the scriptures, we see a mother that loved Jesus and gave all she had to him. And we see a father that is almost non-existent, whether it means that he had wanted nothing to do with Jesus, he had to work all the time so he just couldn't follow Jesus. We really don't know, but what we do know is only one of two of James's parents were actually following Jesus. And you say to me, well, what does that mean for you and I? Well, it means a whole lot if you're a single mother or father. It means a whole lot if you're the only one following Jesus and you're wondering, will you ever get through to you? Can, can I speak to people here today that maybe are following Jesus and you wish that your children's mother or father would do the same? Can I tell you that I pray that they get saved too, but even if they don't, God can use your walk to get to them. It, let me talk to somebody on this side. See, you don't need to have your baby mama or daddy or your counterpart or your spouse that you're living with to surrender before God can start to shake them things in your children's life. If you make a commitment to the Lord and you're walking with him all by yourself, then God will honor you. Now, granted, we want our spouse to serve our Lord. Granted, we want revival to break out in our home. Granted, we want our children's mother or father to surrender to the Lord. But can I tell you, you cannot allow, I repeat, you cannot allow the enemy to tell you that until both parents are serving Jesus, my children do not have a call from God. Because God can use anyone and he hears your prayers regardless if there's another parent praying to. Amen. The next thing I want you to see is that James left all he had to follow Jesus. He left everything. He lived everything. And, and this is really important. If you look at Mark chapter 1 and 19, it says, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. They, they, he saw them. And, and immediately he, he called them. He says, hey, I want you guys to follow me. And they left their father, Zebedee. They left him. And, and then they just said, you, you got to take care of this stuff on your own. I'm out. And, and you know, when I read that, there's something very specific that the Lord began to show to me, or as my nine-year-old daughter likes to say, there's something very pacific that I need you to see here. In Mark chapter 1, look at verse 9, 19 again. Can you flip down the next verse? It says, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets, and what's that next word? 
immediately, bold and underlined, immediately, they did not wait. They did not count the cost. They did not try to figure out was there more pros than cons. They didn't wonder who they was going to offend or what, the, what was going to happen. Immediately, without looking at anything else, they said, I know that I need to follow God and I don't need to weigh the cost because Jesus is Lord and he's got my back. Can I tell you that there is times when God is calling us and rather than us immediately responding we want to pull out a piece of paper and put all the pros down and all the cons down and what's it going to mean if I leave and what's it going to mean if I stay and if I'm obedient I'm hurting this one if I'm disobedient I'm keeping this one if I decide to do this this is going to happen and, and we begin to weigh out if following Jesus is the best option can I tell you being obedient is always the best option? And following Jesus can never, ever, ever have anything else that replaces it and be better. And James, immediately, what that means is without question, without hesitation, Without second guessing, without weighing out his options, without saying, oh, well, you know, if I leave them, I'm going to lose some money. If I cut them short, then I'm not going to have a place to live. If I do this, then I'm going to ruin this opportunity. No, no, no. He said immediately. Can I tell you that there's not a lot of Christians today that'll just follow Jesus? They want to weigh the cost and see if it benefits them first before they do it, but not James. See, James is different because the moment Jesus said, follow me, he did not even consider anything else. He didn't consider his business. He didn't consider his family. He followed. And, and it says that they left their father. And then it says they left their hired servants, their employees. Can, can I tell you real quick that, that, that if the CEO was Zebedee, that most likely the CFO was James, and maybe the COO was John, most likely all of the 401k and retirement plan and all the investments and stocks and, and, and all the liquid capital and everything that was in this small seafood business that had multiple employees under them would have been theirs if they had not left. Do you ever think about that? Did you ever think about the fact that they weren't just leaving their dad or working on the ship, they were actually leaving the entire business that their dad had set up and hoped that they would hand, he would hand over to them? Right? Think about it. It's kind of like when, when you're a child and in your whole life your parents are grooming you to take over the family business that brings in a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and you could live a real good life and pass on the legacy of your family and then God shows up and says, I didn't call you to be a chef, I called you to be a missionary. Then what? What happens then when your family's offended because you're no longer carrying on the legacy of the family? See, because James didn't care about the legacy. He just cared about following Jesus immediately. See, we don't think about that, do we? See, but James is pretty awesome because he was radical. And I'm going to talk about how radical he was in just a minute because we know anyone that's got good also has bad, right? Anyone who has strengths also has 
weaknesses. So in Matthew chapter 10, I'm just going to show you a couple of scriptures and then I'll move on and, and, and give you some more about James. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, it says, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Well, up, oh, James, you, you're pretty good then because you said peace and you was out deuces and you can't, bye dad, I love you, but I, I'm out. And this says, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then it says, and he who does not take up his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he says, he who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Another version says, he who saves his life will lose it. Essentially, if James would have tried to save his business, work out a plan where he could keep his investment, keep his business moving, saving this, and then go follow Jesus, he would have lost it all. See, a lot of us are always trying to save stuff and fix stuff before we follow Jesus. But, but what the scripture says is he who saves his life will lose it. But he who loses it and says, man, I'm, I'm willing to walk away from my business plan. I'm, I'm willing to give up all of the fiscal benefits that are offered to me by my family business. And just follow regardless of what comes to me. That, that's James. See, James was a part of the inner circle. I know we've talked about this a lot, but I want, want you to really get this, and it's important that you get this. There are four accounts where all of the apostles are listed by name. This can be found in Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 3, Luke chapter 6, and Acts chapter 1. In these four accounts, each of the apostles are listed in a very specific way. Judas is always number 12, right? Because he was the least important, the traitor. And then always number one, two, three, right at the top. James is in the top three every time. In all four accounts, it doesn't matter if it's Mark Chapter 3, Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 6, or Acts chapter 1. These authors constantly put James at the very top in the top three. And this reveals the importance of James. Now, I want you to see something else because maybe that doesn't convince you. If you look at three other accounts, not listing of the disciples, but three stories in the Bible. You got Mark chapter 5, verse 37. You got Mark chapter 14, verse 33, and Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And in all of these accounts, Jesus only permitted. It says he permitted. He gave permission to. He specifically told others, you cannot come with me. And he wasn't telling the multitudes. He wasn't telling the seventy. He was telling the 12 apostles, of you 12, only three can go with me. And those three in the book of Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 14, and Matthew chapter 17, without fail, all three times were Peter, James, and John. What does this mean? What it means is that we can see through multiple accounts, we can see through the listing of the apostles by name, that James is an important dude. He is the inner circle of Jesus. He is in the top three. He's in the inside. 
Right? Y'all with me? Everybody, I mean, y'all cool? We good? All right. All right. So it's important that we see that James was clearly closer to Jesus than most of the other disciples. It's obvious. The reason it's important is because James had an issue. Okay, and, and this is important. You're saying, well, why do we need to know about him being in the inner circle? Because if you understand how important he is, then it's also important to understand the issues he had. And the reason I say that is because even though James had issues, Jesus still allowed him to be in the inner circle. Seventy people, Jesus sent them out two by two. Twelve people, he let follow him for three years. Three people, he let on the inside and become intimate with him. These three people were Peter, James, and John. Of these three, you would think, I, I would think, maybe not you, me, I'm think, here's what I'm thinking. You know those dudes must be close to perfect if Jesus let them on the inside. Right? I mean, right? I mean, if Jesus let them in that close, then they must have been stellar people. See, Jesus called James not because of what he saw on the outside, but because of what he saw on the inside. Jesus allowed James to be a part of the inner circle, not because he was perfect, but because he had a heart after God. See, I need you to know something for a moment. Jesus doesn't need you to have it all together to get close to him. He just needs to know that he can work with you. All he needs to know is that he can trust you to not hurt him. Not that you're not going to make mistakes. He wants to know that he can trust that when he speaks something to you, you're going to hear him. Not be prideful and arrogant and cast it off and argue as to why you're right, but that he can actually get a message across to you and you're teachable. See, Jesus doesn't need perfect. He needs to know you're pliable. Perfect? No. Pliable? Yes. He doesn't need to examine you and find out if you have any transgressions in you. He just needs to know, can you be taught? That's it. Transgression-free? No. Teachable? Yes. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, you know what? Cool. I'm, I'm getting it now. So, so James is the inner circle. What, what was wrong with him? Right, who's thinking that? What's wrong with him? Right, who, I mean, was he that bad? Well, let's look at his first name. James. And then it calls him a son of thunder. Look at Mark chapter 3 one more time, verse 14. He appointed the 12, right? And, and he sent them out to preach the gospel. He sent them out to heal the sick, to cast out demons. Simon, to whom Jesus gave the name Peter, James and the son of Zebedee, the son of Zebedee and John his brother. And then it says, to whom he gave the names sons of thunder. Has anyone ever thought to themselves, now, now be honest with me, I know we, there's some church folk in here, so you ain't going to be honest, but to the, those who are not church folk, have you ever read Sons of Thunder, but you just kind of read over it, it didn't make sense, but it didn't really matter, you just kind of kept going? Raise your hand if that's you, everybody else, church folk, all right, cool, thanks. So, and what happens is, is it's like Sons of Thunder, what, what does that mean, right? How many people have looked it up and figured it out? One, two, Okay, of course you did, Michelle. 
If you know Michelle, you laugh with me. Uh, th- that's awesome. I love people like her. Um, so, so there are two theories about why Jesus names John, James, excuse me, and John the sons of thunder. There's two theories. There, there's probably many theories, but, but there's two really that continue to be the overriding theory in consensus about John and James. Their thunderous passion is the first one. That they have such thunderous passion, which equates to their uncompromising voice that proclaims the things of God. That they are constantly standing up for the things of God and proclaiming it because of their passionate, thunderous voice that things that yells and screams and proclaims the things of God and many think that Jesus saw them and saw their passion and and fervency and their excitement for the word of God and the things of God and the gospel and that, that he says you guys are sons of thunder because you have a thunderous voice full of passion to declare the things of God the second theory which could be a combination and and become one is that their thunderous passion equates to their temper. A lot of theologians say that John and James had short fuses and that their tempers got the best of them. I'm talking to somebody right now. I know I am. I know I am. You thinking, oh, Lord, I just wish he'd stop talking because I know I'm a hot mess. I'll be cussing folk out quick. So, so if that's you, I'm talking to you. Now, we don't have any account of James and John cussing folks out. So don't look. That, that's not an excuse for you to go cussing because James did it. All right? But we do have accounts of James and John responding thunderously, if you will. I don't know if it's a word, but it sounds very good, so go with it. Thunderously. That they respond with their voice, that they get loud. Some would call it ignorant. Some would call it hillbilly. Some would call it hood or ghetto. I'm not that one. Don't get me twisted. You cross me, I cut you. I say, but I ain't always been saved. That's James and John. And in Luke chapter 9 and 49, it says that John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him to. We said, you can't do that because you don't follow with us. So, so John was like, Jesus, I did a good deed for you today. Oh, yeah, I did. How'd you do that, G? How'd you do that, John? He says, man, I was walking down the street, and I seen these folk casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and they ain't even a part of our crew, bro. They ain't even with us. So I forbade them to do it. I said, don't do it no more. You ain't one of Jesus' three. You ain't one of the 12. You ain't one of the 70. He ain't taught you. You ain't under him. You ain't followed him. You ain't ate his fish. And Jesus corrected them, and and we're going to talk about how he corrected them next week because he was correcting John, and it would go a lot better with next week's sermon with John. But I will show you another example of the thunderous passion with James and John, and that is in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. It says, when Jesus, excuse me, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
Just as Elijah did. See, some of y'all church folk, y'all wanting to kill people in the name of Jesus. You're like, the Lord going to get his vengeance on you. In Jesus' name, I hope you wreck your car. Ain't no Jesus in that. There ain't no Jesus in wishing somebody wreck their car and not get hurt. That ain't any better. Well, I said don't get hurt. No, that ain't no better. Lord, flatten their tires in Jesus' name. But show them your grace and give them money to get it prepared. No, 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 that is wrong. And James and John, so, so I need you to look. It says that, that he rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them and says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. He says, you don't get it. He says, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men, but to save them. And they went into another village. Now, you're going to have to look at this later yourself, but essentially breaking it down very quickly, what happened was Jesus and his crew went into Galilee, Samaria, and this is a place where there's wicked folks, you know, half Jew, half something else. Their faith is kind of jacked up, and they responded to Jesus like this. They wanted nothing to do with them. Matter of fact, they were like, you know, get out. And James and John was like, bro, you ain't going to tell my Jesus to get out, bro. That's my pastor. I lay my life down for that dude, bro. I can get him up in here. That's what James and John did. See, see, y'all just need to read between the lines. Because once it jumped off, James and John said, Lord, you want me to command fire to come down, bro? Because I straight take these dudes out. Y'all see it, right? This isn't made up. And he turned and rebuked him and said, you don't realize what manner of spirit you are. You're not understanding because right now you have a very critical spirit. You, You have a very condemning spirit. You, you have a spirit that, that, yes, you have righteousness here, but it's not equal with grace and love. Therefore, you're trying to send every sinner to hell rather than win them to heaven. He says, don't you realize that I did not come to destroy these wicked people? I came to save them. And if I came to save them, you can't want to kill them just because they ain't treating you and your pastor right. You know, I know a lot of people, I met one just a couple of weeks ago, and, and there was a lady, she was pretty rough around the edges. They didn't go here, but there are some here too. There are, all nothing, it's true. We are the perfect church for imperfect people of all cultures, nationalities, denominations, and generations who gather together to experience God. Right? So there's some rough people in here. That's okay. Praise God. We want rough people. We don't want a bunch of church folk. I don't like church people anyway. But this pastor was saying to me, she was kind of rough, right? And, she, and, and then she found out I was uh, uh, the pastor, the guest speaker for the day. And she was like, oh, praise God. Hey, how are you? God bless you. I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, I'm thinking to myself, it's too late, girl. You done ruined it. You're lucky I ain't got the spirit of James and John because I cast out fire on you right now. And then her, the pastor came and was like, what's up, pastor, man? So glad you're here. Thanks for speaking. And, and he said, was she mean to you? And I said, oh, it's all good, man. And he said, he said you know, she, she, 
She's a little mean to people, but I'll tell you what, she got my back, man. She'll do anything for me. If anybody tries to get close, she'll dot their eye. She loved my wife. She'd be serving. She got our back. She, we ride or die. And I'm like, that's cool. You want people that's ride or die, but you don't want her killing everybody that ride by. <laughs> right? Y'all with me? Yeah, so, so I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all of you that support me and got my back, and you won't let nobody cross me, but don't come no hood dude to do it. Because even though people cross me, cross our church, assassinate our name, we've got a responsibility to respond even still with grace, love, and integrity. You wouldn't believe how many times I want to post on Facebook to somebody who posted something. But I don't. I want to. Oh, I'm telling you, the spirit of James rises up in me. And I, and I want to, I want to, I want oh, I want to. I want to. And y'all think, oh, he's so good because he never quotes and responds. No, I, I, it's by the grace of God that I don't respond because I, I've typed it out. I've typed it out and almost hit sin. And, and then immediately the Lord says to me, do you not know the man of the spirit you are? I'm talking to somebody right now. And then look what it says. It says, and they went to another village. They didn't, they did not defend their case. They did not prove their point. They did not make sure to get their point across as to who they were. They did not fight. They didn't stay. They simply left. They said, cool, we're gone. And they left. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think about my pastor, what you think about my leader. If you want me to stay here, here's the reality. If you don't want me around, I won't be around. But I, I'm not going to become no hood dude because now I love the Lord. And we need to get to a place that we don't keep allowing people to take us eight years back and we act like it's 1999 again or 2008 again or whatever the year may be when we were when we were kind of you know hood and ghetto and and unsanctified and and had a bad temper we need to know that that's not what we should be doing as Christians and James and John had an issue they were quick to rise up and defend Jesus and say Jesus Bro, they talking about you. I'll get them. They talking about my, not my church. No, you ain't going to talk about my church. You talk about that church, but not my church. That's my pastor. Right? Can't do that. That's the spirit, that's the spirit of James. And, and Jesus corrected, checked, and, and rebuked that spirit. The second thing I want you to see is that James was a position seeker. Let me say it again. He was a position seeker. Now, there's one account where Jesus was there and, and, and the, the, the mother of James and John came and said, Hey, uh, you guys are Jesus. I, I want to know if my, my sons, James and John, can sit on your right and left side. That's what, that's what she said. And, and Jesus immediately turned and addressed them. And, and what I want you to see is even though it says the mother came... Jesus responded to the boys. The reason that he responded to the boys is because Jesus knew it wasn't coming from her. It was coming from them. That's why in the book of Matthew, the account is given a little bit differently. In the book of, or excuse me, Mark, excuse me. In the book of Mark, the account's given a little differently. It says in chapter 10, verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Can we have that scripture, please? Skip two down. I'm sorry, I skipped, skipped the scripture. Hey. 
Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Okay. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit on your right hand and on your left hand in your glory. What they were saying is we want to sit in heaven, one on the right and one on the left. We want to be your road dogs, Jesus. We're the ones that are willing to cast down fire on folk, bro. We the ones that left our father and mother immediately, Jesus. We're the ones that was willing to stand up when everybody else closed their ears and acted like nothing was happening. We were the ones. We got your back. And with that being said, we feel that we have the right to sit on your right and left side. Jesus responded, and I'll show you in just a second. But before I give you the response of Jesus, I want you to look at Matthew 19 and 28. Because right before they came to Jesus, Jesus had already promised them something similar to what they were asking for. In Matthew 19 and 28, it says that Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in this regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. Remember last week we talked about this out of the book of Revelations? Some of you, yes. And it says that these 12 apostles will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus told the 12 apostles, if you stay faithful to me, when we all die and get to heaven and judgment day comes, you 12 people are going to help judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you take that, And they felt like, well, you know, it's cool that I'm going to be judging and sitting on a throne and all, but I want to sit on the number one and two throne. Y'all with me? I'm trying to get y'all to see what's happening here. They they weren't happy with just being on a throne. They wanted to be number two and number one. And, 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 And as I began to think about this, James had lots of passion, but the problem is he thought that his passion for God should match his reward from God. He forgot that he didn't deserve anything he had. He forgot that it was by grace that he'd been saved through faith and not by works lest any man should boast. See, it's kind of like church people today. You know, you're living a jacked up life, whatever that may be. Some people, it's work a lot. You overwork. You have no time for God. Some of you got bad, 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 bad uh, uh, money issues. Some of y'all got anger, greed. I mean, this, the list goes on and on. Drugs, alcohol, whatever, right? And, and you're at this real low pl- place in your life, and finally something happens. You have a wake-up call, and you repent and say, Lord, I want to live for you. And you begin to change your life. You respond to the grace of God, and, and, and you say, Lord, I, I want to give my life to you. And, and then you get three years into your walk, eight years into your walk, ten years into your walk. And somewhere along the way, you begin to get arrogant. It's called spiritual pride. That's why Jesus said that blessed are those that have a poor spirit. 
Because what happens a lot of times is the more anointed you get, the more chance that there is for you to have a rich, prideful spirit. See, the more higher we go with God, the more humble we should get knowing how jacked up we really are. But what happens a lot of times is we keep going higher and higher in the grace of God and the anointing of God and we act as if we're not jacked up and we act as if we're God's greatest gift to humanity and that he, does, he needs to give us stuff because we deserve it. It doesn't matter if you give 50 years of your life to the Christian service and you hand over your body to be burned or you give away all the money that you have, you still don't deserve a thing. Everybody with me? Because we are jacked up people and have a jacked up life where we were miserable, we were self-centered, we were self-consumed, self-absorbed, life was all about us. And if we messed up, we are messed up. And it doesn't matter how many good days we have, we're still jacked up from the beginning. For an example, if someone is a felon and then they got 40 years under their belt of being a good citizen, guess what they still are? A felon. And it's the same thing with God. You can get as many years of, of righteousness and holiness and service to the Lord under your belt as you want. But it doesn't change the fact that you are still jacked up and deserve nothing. But for some reason, James allowed his idea of his passion and his fervency for righteousness and his thunderous voice and his stand for Jesus to think that he was somehow deserving of a reward because his passion was greater than the others. Kind of like church people. Since you give more hours a week, you deserve a bigger thank you. Since, since you sing better or have been here longer, look, look, the church world doesn't work like the St. Louis public school system. You don't get tenured in and always have more seniority than the people under you. Oh, I'm talking to somebody right now. The kingdom of God is not like the union because God will put your butt out. Oh, I'm talking to somebody right now. I feel it. See, because we have this messed up idea that we think once we're in, there is no out. And, and that we are deserving of whatever God has for us. And but can I tell you that we don't deserve anything from God. We don't deserve to sit on throne number 12, let alone asking for uh, throne number 1 and 2. How dare he ask which throne am I going to be on? You got recognition and you're going to be on a throne. Isn't that good enough? Isn't it good enough you're going to heaven? Isn't it good enough you're not drinking and drugging and abusing and sexing and cheating and stealing? Isn't it good enough that you have a relationship with the God of, of heaven and earth? Isn't that enough? No. Well, it is enough, but not really enough because I've given many years of service to you. I've put in this much money. I've paid all this. I work in this ministry. I volunteer here. I give all this away. I've raised four kids. I've done all this. Lord, I need a little something from you. We don't deserve anything from God. See, he thought he deserved a position. Number one, God, that's what I want. James thought he deserved more than the other disciples. James' self-estimation ranked pretty high. 
When he did a self-examination of himself, if it was rated on 1 through 10, he'd probably give himself a 12. James thought that he was entitled to a position of great power. He thought he was entitled to a position of great authority. Jesus had to teach James that the greatest must be the least. He had to teach James that love means loving all people even though they don't deserve it. See, James had to learn some things from Jesus. And this is what makes it so amazing. Is that even though we see the jacked up ways of James, he still made it to the inner circle. It's important that you see this. Even though James was sometimes a bit thunderous in his responses and said things that was foot and mouth and and Jesus had to check him and correct him. Even though he sought places of position and thought that he was more deserving than others because of his passion and input into the ministry, Jesus still saw something in James that we couldn't see and he allowed him on the inside. Even though James was jacked up, Jesus knew he was safe with James. I need you to hear that. See, I'm not worried if somebody's jacked up. I just want to know if I'm safe with them. Somebody needs to hear that on this side. What's important is not if somebody's jacked up. What's important is am I safe with you? See, I'll let someone be in ministry and serve in a position and you have issues because we all have issues. I just want to know, is our church safe with you? Am I safe with you? Can I trust you? I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to have everything worked out. I'm okay with accusations and things coming back against you as long as we can talk up front and I know that I am safe with you. Jesus somehow knew that he was safe with James. Jesus knew that James was teachable. I mean, I don't know how. But he knew he was teachable. Well, I mean, I guess it's because the Bible says that Jesus was the discerner of hearts. And he was able to see it. Jesus knew that James was going to be a person that was critical, condemning, and finger pointing. But Jesus also knew he was teachable. And if you look at these two accounts, in neither account, matter of fact, three accounts, the account where James and John asked to be number one and two, the account where they wanted to pray down fire to kill everybody, And then the third account that I was telling you about with John. In all three of these accounts, Jesus responded with rebuke, with correction. He was blunt. He was to the point. But every one of them, James and John, responded in every one of those situations with a teachable moment. They did not rebuke him. They did not justify, well, you got to understand what I'm saying. No. They didn't try to get their point across. They didn't want to convey what they meant. They they weren't trying to help Jesus to teach them. They simply listened and they said, if you're saying that I'm out of of context, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the will of God, I'm not understanding you right, then teach me. And they sat there like a sponge and learned from the teacher. The reason Jesus could let these dysfunctional people in his inner circle was not because they were perfect, but because of the way they responded to correction. Can I tell you that I was told long ago, never let people serve in leadership that you have to walk on eggshells around. If you can't check someone 
about their issues, don't put them on your team. And, and, and that's kind of harsh, right? But, man, it is hard. Have y'all, y'all know anybody who got, got walk on eggshells around? It's, I mean, you get anxious, you get anxiety, you, you get butterflies in your stomach, avoid them, fuck avoiding people. You know, people are like, Pastor, you always making jokes at me. And I'm like, look, if I make jokes at you, that's a good thing. Because cause, cause, cause if I got to walk on eggshells around you, I might, you know, avoid you. I ain't even going to tell a joke, you know. I'm going to stay far away from you. And, and, and why do I say this to you? I say this to you because Jesus is not looking for us to be perfect to get on the inside. All he's looking for is you and I to be teachable. So, so James had to learn some things from Jesus. James pursued a title, but he got a towel. James wanted power, but he became a slave. James wanted a crown just like Jesus, but instead he got to drink the cup of Jesus. James wanted to rule, but instead he became a martyr in Acts chapter 12. James wanted to ascend with Jesus, but instead he had to first descend with Jesus. Why? why, why? What, what, what's the point of all of this? The point of this message today is for us to see, A, that you do not need to be perfect to be on the inside circle of Jesus. He will communicate and give you intimate space with him if you're just open and transparent about your life and remain teachable by him. Second thing I need you to see is it is not cool for us to be people that talk about love and grace, but we want to f- pray down fire and hell on, on folks who, who, who are messed up. There ain't no, there's no Jesus in that. What spirit are you operating out of? Next, matter of fact, last, I would just say to us, we need to make sure that we are not more interested about serving to be in a position than we are just to serve. That's not why we do what we do. With that being said, I'd like to close in a word of prayer with all of us together. And if anyone has a prayer request, or excuse me, has a prayer request immediately following you, come up front and give it to one of our folks here and they'll love to pray with you, pray for you. If anyone says, man, I just, I just would love uh, to respond to this message, pastor, and just find myself at a more intimate walk with Jesus, these altars are open for you as well. We'd love to pray for any of you that have a request. So next week we'll be in uh, week six, and it'll be John. John is the other son of thunder. He is the author of five books of the New Testament, a very important apostle. And also, he too had his own issues. So come back next week and join us. I'm excited on our series. I hope y'all are learning. Anybody learning? That's the goal. I hope that the things you're learning is also changing you. That's the goal. Not that your head's full of knowledge, head's full of stuff, but that that it becomes applicable and you change. We, we don't want to be wise. We don't want to be full of knowledge. We want to be full of wisdom. Knowledge is stuff. Wisdom is, is practicing the stuff that we know. So my prayer is that these lessons, not only in these six weeks, five weeks, but over the entire span of your life here at Diverse City, is that it's more about taking knowledge and applying it to your life, and it becomes wisdom, 
than you being another Christian that knows a whole bunch of stuff about the Bible but still isn't walking in it. We have enough knowledgeable people, but what we need is wise people. Father, I pray right now, thanking you for the study on James, the son of Zebedee. Lord, your scripture has taught us who he is. It's revealed who we are. It's revealed what we can do and become. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to identify and recognize anything that's in us that maybe is not of you. And that you will help us to figure out a way to become more intimate with you. Lord, may your will be done in us, through us, and for your glory. We do thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody needs prayer, these altars are open. If you want to respond and just give your life to, to Christ, these altars are open, and we would love to pray with you. God bless you. Please stand up. Find somebody that you know. Also find somebody that you don't know. Give a big old high five, handshake, hug, whatever you do. God bless you. Feel free to worship with us as well. Thank you for joining us and we hope this message blessed you. 